Amen. Good morning. You can stand if you're able, or you can remain seated if that's more comfortable for you. We're going to worship the Lord this morning. I'm just going to open us in a really quick word of prayer, um, just to center our hearts as we do in the morning. So we just, God, we're so grateful for this day. We're just really grateful to be here together in community as we worship you. We want to worship you every day throughout our week, God, but there's something so special about gathering with the people of God and joining in corporate worship. So we just want to take a moment to be grateful, to just acknowledge and be present in the moment this morning as we pause to just fix our eyes on you and set other things aside, this special time to be together and in one voice and one heart to lift you up. God, and we just ask that you would speak to our hearts, that you would enable us to fully engage in worship this morning, and that you would prepare us to receive from your word. And as we go out and we visit with our friends and we fellowship, and then we go out through our day and our week, let your Holy Spirit guide us and be with us and continue to speak to us about the experiences and the things that you are teaching us today. So we just ask you, Lord, again, just to help us to be present here with you, in your presence, with your people. Amen. Let's worship him this morning.
that be true for us this morning. I'm going to read this call to worship. From 2 Corinthians chapter 1. It says, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken to us to the glory of God. Hear that, Larry? Amen. To the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership upon us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Amen. That's something to celebrate this morning. The gift of the Holy Spirit, the deposit and guarantee for what is to come. We'll give him everything. All to Jesus I surrender all to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust his breath. 
continue in this attitude of surrender. We're just going to, this song kind of takes it up a notch and really makes us think about what that really means for us. Let's sing this together. creation suddenly articulate with a thousand tongues to lift one cry and from north to south and east to west we'd hear Christ be magnified you return in glory 
with all the angels and the saints my heart will still be singing my song will be the same
of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. We live for you.
Wow, I just want to say that God is faithful. God is so faithful. Um, I just thank him for um, being faithful when we are in places and in seasons where we just aren't feeling it. Kind of like we sang in that song a few songs ago, and it's, I won't trust in the feelings, essentially, that I'll hold fast to what is true. And sometimes that's just really hard. Sometimes it's just really hard not to base things on what we're feeling. And um, I'm sure this means nothing to anyone except for me, and I just have to testify that God has has been faithful to me um, as I just declare that sometimes. God, I just, I don't know. I'm not feeling it, and, and I'm just thankful that he, he hears me out, and he is always faithful to communicate his truth and his love to us, even when we realize just how unworthy we are. And I just want to share that with you. If you're still waiting on that reminder, if you're still waiting to hear that word from God, whatever it is, I want to encourage you to keep listening because he is so faithful. He's so faithful, and I'm just so grateful, and so I just needed to acknowledge that this morning, and I just am always blown away um, in the ways that God communicates his love, and it's just humbling to me, so um, would you join me as we pray together this morning? God, I just want to praise you and say that you truly are the only one who is worthy. You truly are worthy of all that we are and all that we have to bring. God, I know we go through seasons where we feel a little bit numb. We feel like you aren't as present as we would like. We feel disoriented, we feel shame, we feel lost, we feel brokenness. And God, I'm just so grateful that even in the midst of those of those seasons, you are so faithful to make yourself known. You are so faithful to show us and remind us how loved we are. And God, we are so well aware of how unworthy we are to be the continued recipients of your relentless love. God, our humanity causes us to question you. Our humanity causes us to question your goodness. Our humanity at times causes us to question who you are and what is true. And I'm just so grateful that you you patiently wait and you make yourself known in the moments when I think sometimes we need it the most. God, I pray that every person in this place that is watching online, God, I pray that in this moment that they would be overwhelmed by your presence and your goodness and your love. God, may we just sit in this moment and just receive that.
Sometimes we just need to sit in the silence, in the quiet, and we just need to wait. God, I have I don't I, I words are failing me and I'm just so grateful for your love. And it's my prayer that each person in this room would would truly sense your love for them. God, you are enough for us. Forgive us, God, when we try to grasp at other things that we think will fulfill us. God, forgive us when we when we feel tempted to occupy our lives with other things that that we think might fulfill us with with people that that we are dependent upon for love. Because the truth is, God, no one can love us like you do. And I thank you for your mercy and your grace when I fail to come to you first. I thank you for the ways that you meet us with your relentless love. And maybe it's cheesy, but on this Father's Day, I'm reminded of the story of the prodigal son. And I'm reminded of the relentless love of his father. And I always stand in awe of that story and just of the beauty and the grace and the love that is demonstrated in that father that is meant to be you. And regardless of whether or not all the men in here are fathers, regardless of of where we are at with our earthly fathers today, God, may we just be reminded that, that your love for us is enough and that it's sweet. And may we also be reminded that we are to take that love out into the world that is broken and desperately searching for you. They may not know it, but they're longing for a love that can only be found in you. So may we faithfully carry this love. May your love overwhelm us to where we can't help but lavish this love on others. In the name of Christ Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Um. We really need to put some tissues on this platform. (laughs) Hang on just a second. I regret, my timing is always terrible, and I didn't think about it until it was much too late. Um, But I want to bring to you a little uh, inside joke from General Assembly that I want to clue you all in on. Um, 
Dr. Carla Sundberg gave the um, quadrennial address, which is kind of like the the state or uh, the kind of like the declaration of where we are in the Church of the Nazarene. And one of the things that I loved most about her message was, um, well, just the whole General Assembly altogether, there was a lot of callbacks to our roots, to our theological forefathers and mothers um, in the Church of the Nazarene. And one of those is Phineas F. Brzee. And I wish that I would have brought you a fabulous picture that's made its way around social media. Um, because as Dr. Carla Sumberg came and gave the quadrennial address, um, she shared this amazing quote from Phineas F. Brzee, who was heard to have said at one point that it is always good morning in the church of the Nazarene, or it's always morning in the church of the Nazarene. I'm, I butcher quotes all the time, but it was something along those lines. And then, so uh, Dr. Carla Sundberg made it a point to, throughout her address, throughout her message, she would pause and say, good morning. And we would say, good morning. And so this carried on all throughout General Assembly, even when it was afternoon and we gathered and she would say, good morning. And we'd say, good morning. So this morning, as I say, good morning to people in the hallways, that's all I can think of now. And I wish I had that picture to share with you because they ended up making this picture an old, you know, vintage picture of Phineas F. Brzee, and he's wearing these fabulous yellow sunglasses that they ended up passing out to everybody. And it's so great, and I'm so sorry that I didn't bring it for you. I wish I would have thought about it ahead of time, but maybe we can find it, and I'll share it later, and you'll know it when you see it. You'll know what that is. So every time I say good morning now, that's all I can think of. So you're welcome for me halfway bringing that to you (laughs) this morning. I'm killing it already. Uh, I also just want to say happy Father's Day to all of you dads that are here or watching. Just grateful that you are here with us. I know there are some dads who are grateful to have uh, their kids here today, and so it's just always great when we can celebrate um, our dads. So happy Father's Day. I hope you guys have a wonderful day, whatever it is you do later. And I'm going to ask Bo to come and share something just really quickly. Um, Let's see. I'm going to grab this microphone over here for him, this blue microphone. He just has a quick a quick little thing he wants to share with you all. Well, like he said, God is faithful. Yeah. Uh, yeah, hold it closer. closer. You're quiet. There you go. <laughs> there you go. I apologize. Uh, <laughs> I just wanted to say a huge thank you. I actually haven't seen it, but she told me that there is a huge pile of clothes downstairs that say clean on them. And I just want to thank whoever did that because whoever it was did not tell me uh and i know there was a couple of people that took some at least a couple uh i just want to say thank you to all of you and uh, that will be a huge help to me and the community uh uh, i know some of you may not know what that was for but uh, i sent out an email about having a yard sale for the community uh, and so that's what that's all about But I just wanted to say a big thank you because that was a big deal. That was a lot of clothes. For those who didn't know, there was like 20 bags of clothes down there. 20 big garbage bags full of clothes. like 50-gallon bags. Yeah. Uh, So it was a lot. It was a big deal. 
We left and there were all dirty in his office in bags, you know, but then we came back and I walked into his office and I was like, something is different. (laughs) I am less anxious that standing here. I don't know why. And then I was like, oh, the garbage bags are gone that have been here forever. And then I saw that they all said clean. So, yeah. And when I get here in the mornings, I usually come straight up here. So I didn't even stop by to notice all of that. So anyways, uh, thank you all so much. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. I just wanted him to have a chance to share that with you because I thought he would be excited about that. Because I think there was a point where we were like, we're going to be doing a lot of this ourselves, so that's okay. (laughs) But anyways, um, all right. Well, this morning, we'll transition to uh, having you all stand if you're able. I invite you to stand. We're going to read our passage this morning from, we're going to be reading from Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 And then Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 through 9. Hear the word of the Lord. The Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? There's a lot of context we got to give, but if we are thankful for this word, can we say thanks be to God? Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I promise I'll fill in those gaps because it's always a little weird when we read those one-off verses. I wonder if any of you, I'm going to take you back to 2015, 2016. Um, Maybe not everybody will remember this, or maybe some of you missed it, but occasionally there are phrases that make their way around social media, uh, phrases that are used by the younger and the cooler, and by that I mean like younger and cooler than myself. Um, We do have a few of those in our midst that that keep us young and cool and and we're able to understand language because they explain it to us when, when these little buzzwords and buzz phrases come out. But in 2015, there was this phrase that was widely known and widely used, and it was called fear of missing out, or we would say FOMO for short. Like, I'm having FOMO. I wish I could be there, and I'm not there. I'm having a fear of missing out, right? That's what that phrase communicated. And then in 2016, and I can't help but wonder if these are connected in some way, maybe not, In 2016, there was this maybe even more popular, more widely used phrase, you only live once, or YOLO, thank you. I knew we'd have a few of you here that knew what I was talking about. (laughs) Some of you are still trying to unpack some of the words I'm saying, but anyways, so FOMO and YOLO, these are phrases or acronyms that were used. So you know, you're about to go do something crazy that you maybe wouldn't ordinarily do. YOLO, that was kind of the context of the phrase. I'm not really a YOLO type of person. I'm like espresso at 7 p.m., YOLO. Like that's as crazy as it gets for me. Um, so I don't use that phrase very much. But I do, I do have a fear of missing out. 
I am very much the type of person that has a fear of missing out. And, and social media really doesn't help that because then you are even more aware of all the things you're missing. And the most re- <laughs> I'm about to get really nerdy. The most recent experience of my fear of missing out is when we had to leave General Assembly Thursday morning and all the business continued to happen all day Thursday. And I had to miss the rest of the business that I was very much interested in. And I'm not being sarcastic right now. Sometimes it's hard to tell. I'm being dead serious that I was having a significant fear of missing out as we made our way back home on Thursday and the General Assembly continued to conduct its business. I really wanted to be there for it. And so had a little bit of, of FOMO as, I, uh, drove, as we drove home. But whether or not you've heard these phrases or used these phrases, some of you are still trying to figure out these phrases. What I think these phrases communicate to us, these phrases tend to reflect this urgency of our modern life. This modern day context which we find ourselves in, these phrases reflect this urgency. These phrases reflect this drive, this passion to take advantage of every single opportunity, anytime, all the time, everything that is offered to us, these phrases communicate that we want to do it all. We want to experience it all even when it's just too much. And we're going to be starting this new series. I'm going to come back to the phrases in just a moment. We're starting this new series, and it's called Godspeed. And I shared, for those of you who received the newsletter, the weekly newsletter, I shared with you in this newsletter a link to a 30-minute film that this series is based off of. And in this film, you see this story. This is the story of an American pastor who, like many pastors, has this desire to change the world, right? Pastors are often uh, quite ambitious, and we just have this deep sense within us that we actually can change the world. And, and then we're humbled at times, remembering that it's not actually us, it's God. And, and so, but this pastor moves from New York City, where he frequently, or where he lives and ministers, and he temporarily steps into this Scottish parish in Methlick, Scotland, a teeny tiny village. It's, it's, it's probably so small that, that you wouldn't even see it on a map. It's a teeny tiny little village. And so he steps into this village and this 30 minute film, which by the way, I learned it was supposed to be like a five minute video, just kind of capturing the highlights. And it turned into this 30 minute film as he has just a, a disorienting experience because doing ministry here in this small town changed his world and his life and ministry forever. And this film, um, I don't know if anybody had a chance to watch it. I highly recommend you watch it. It's 30 minutes. It's free. You don't have to pay anything. Livegodspeed.org. This is not a promo. It's just genuinely so good and refreshing. And I was so blessed when I watched this short film. I was deeply moved by this idea of how this pace of life 
that this pastor, his name is Matt, that he found in this teeny tiny village and how it compared to his life that he was trying to live and this ministry pace that he was trying to keep in New York City. As he moved to this teeny tiny village, it helped him to see things in a completely different way. And I would argue in a much healthier way at a much healthier pace and maybe even a more kingdom oriented mindset. I'm sure you guys are familiar with the word Godspeed. Uh, I feel like that's a, a pretty commonly used phrase. What I didn't know, though, is, is how this word originated, where it came from. And it comes from the English phrase, Godsped it, if I'm saying that right. And it means, may God flourish you. May God flourish you. And so here's what this is not today. If you watched this 30-minute film, you might see this as a call to to abandon life in a city and move to the country where everything is slower and quieter. And that's not what this is, right? This is not about location. It's about learning what it means to move at God's speed. It's about learning what it means to live at God's speed. And to live at God's speed is to be present where you are and present to who surrounds you. That's what it means to live at God's speed, and that's what we're going to um, kind of dive into over these next several weeks. And so back to those phrases that, that we've seen go around from time to time. I wonder if, if could it be that these phrases, fear of missing out and you only live once, could these phrases dictate our lives more than an attentiveness to the place God has us and the people God has around us? Maybe, just kind of thinking out loud here, I think our culture values speed, going at at an incredibly fast pace, one that we just really can't keep up with. Our culture values mobility and virtual reality and adventuring far, far away and always being somewhere else other than right where we are. And so this this series is going to kind of push back against that a little bit. It's going to be a bit of, of pushing us out of our comfort zone for many of us pushing us in a a place that might feel a little bit odd at first. I'm going to quote N.T. Wright a lot throughout this series. You know I quote him all the time. He's just a brilliant theologian. Um, But he has a lot to say in this study. And And he identifies that the challenge will be that we have to learn how to handle. I forgot I'm driving this. Sorry, guys. Here we go. He says, We have to learn how to handle this new cultural situation we are in and realize the points at which it is diminishing us. In other words, realizing that this culture which we are in is is causing us to move at a pace that is just not sustainable. And it's not healthy. And I say this a lot. It's not always kingdom oriented. In other words, Kingdom things, things that are affecting the kingdom of God, impacting the kingdom of God, take time. It takes time. When you look at scripture, God does not always move at an incredibly fast pace. Did Jesus heal people on the spot? Yes. Did Jesus miraculously change lives on the spot? Yes. Does God still do that? Yes. He absolutely does. But I think what we see are the more mundane, ordinary, day in and day out kind of changes that God is always faithfully working in and through. So this idea of God's speed, just to kind of set the whole series up for you. 
It's gonna fight against this tendency to believe that if we only had a better church, if I only had a different job, if only we lived in the country, if only I was in this place or that place, then all would be well. But Godspeed is gonna encourage us to be attentive to where we are and what God is doing right now. And so as I watched this this 30-minute film, one idea that, that stood out to me and one that I want to highlight today as it relates to our, uh, to our sermon text is this idea of knowing and being known. Knowing those who are around us and allowing ourselves to be known. I was struck that in this film, the pastor, Matt, he gets to Methlick and he is being introduced to his parish, as they call it, or his congregation, okay? And what I found so fascinating is that they don't take him to a a structure or a church office or a church building, right? That's just common sense that anytime a pastor is looking to pastor a new church, one of the first places you go is to the church building and you get a tour and you see your office and you see how the ministry space looks. And they don't do that in this film. In fact, at one point he was like, wait, where's the church office? And they didn't even know what he was talking about. They were were just like, what are you talking about? Like, this is your office. (laughs) This, this little village, kind of a, a snapshot of what you see in this picture. This is your parish. This is what we're interested in showing you. And so what we learned or what I learned is that the question for this pastor, for Matt, was not, can you do the job? Which is the language that we hear a lot, even in ministry, when you're looking at pastoral candidates. It's like, well, do we think he is right for the job? Do we think she is right for the job? Does he or she have the, the qualifications and the things that we're looking for to do the job? The question was not, can you do the job? The question for him was, can you be here with these people? Can you be present in this place and be here with these people? In other words, not hide behind a job description, but can you forsake anonymity and instead know others and allow yourself to be known? Perhaps one of the biggest challenges of our culture today, inside the church, outside the church, either way, is that it's all too easy to hide. And what's even more confusing and frustrating is that it's all too easy to hide behind this guise of being social and being more connected through social media, when really that just makes it easier to hide behind something. We can put anything out there to the world that makes it seem like everything is fine, everything is great, keep moving, don't pay any attention, when really we are completely hiding. And in our scripture passage today, we see this hiding of sorts. We see this desire for anonymity after sin enters into the picture. I hate pulling one verse here, one verse there, and and building my message off of that. I don't do it often. It's the exception for me. But I was confident that we all know this story pretty well, right? In fact, I believe we looked at this exact passage during the season of Lent when we were talking about sin and and opening ourselves up to, to God pointing out the sin that might be lurking in our lives. But, but in this passage, in chapter 2, 
I don't, I think, I think often we miss the significance of what God is, is installing in chapter two when he places Adam or the Adam, as scholars would say, man, in the garden and explains to him what he is to do there. He places Adam in the garden and says, this is your place. This is where you are. This is where I have you. And you are to work. You are to, that work. That word work is, is really difficult to communicate clearly by just saying work. The Greek word actually is more complex than that. It means to take care of, to serve, to lend yourself to. You are charged to tend to it. You are charged to keep it and to protect it. This is your vocation. This is where I have you is essentially what we see being built in chapter two of Genesis. I was leaning on on one scholar, his name is Joseph Colson, and I appreciate how he says, when we understand the proper translation of this verse, he says, the narrative thus clearly states that the Adam was to engage in the work God had already begun. God had already done the work. God had already done the heavy lifting, but he placed Adam here, man here, and he clearly charged him with this, with this vocation, with this way to live. This is where you are and this is what you are to do. He says, God planted the garden and through his labor and through his service, the Adam was to keep it productive. Again, this is the place where God had Adam. This was the work to which Adam was called. We'll come back to that in a moment. We fast forward to chapter three. We know the story, right? Adam and Eve disobeyed God. God had one clear guideline for them, one, one warning for them, one don't do this because it's not going to end well for you. We, that's another sermon for another day, but Adam and Eve went the opposite direction. They disobeyed God. They didn't listen to God. And the moment that they go their own way, the moment they stray off the path that God had them on, they are immediately overcome with guilt and with shame and their first inclination is to hide. We talked about this during Lent when I preached from this passage before. Hopefully that's familiar to you. Their first inclination, perhaps one of the most devastating things about this story is that Adam and Eve's first response after sinning is to hide. Before they lived in freedom and in community with God, They knew their place and they were faithful to that place. And after sin, they immediately hide from God. They are no longer living in community. They're hiding from God. And in a way, they're hiding from one another. And God asks this question. We're struck by this question when God asks, where are you? I don't remember if I've said this before, but I'm sure you've heard this before. The scholars are pretty united that this is not a question of ignorance, right? This is not a question of God not knowing where they are, probably, more than likely. I, I think God had a very accurate idea of where they were, and exact, he knew exactly what was going on. Rather, it seems that this question was a plea. It was a plea because God knew they were hiding and God didn't want them to hide. God wanted to continue to be in community with them and to be there for them. And so he's asking this question, 
out of, out of a sense of, of brokenheartedness saying, where are you? I'll borrow from Joseph Colson again. He says it really well. He said, it would be impossible to overstate the emotion expressed in the single Hebrew word for this question. That word or question, where are you, is one Hebrew word in this context. He says, God loved the human pair. God delighted in them. In them. God was disappointed, grief-stricken, brokenhearted at this, their first failure to appear. I want to remind you that I asked kind of a controversial question when, I, when we looked at this passage last. I asked this controversial question of, could it be that God was just as grieved by their hiding as he was by their sin? I think it's possible that, yes, the sin broke God's heart, but I think their hiding as a direct response or result of that sin broke God's heart just as much. He goes on to say, the implication of God's grief and the measureless sadness of its expression here are of profound importance for a Christian theology of relationship. In other words, sin no sin. God wants to be in community with his people. And God does not long or wish for us to hide from him or from others. And so we see from this passage, it's easy to miss, but, but in chapter two, we see that God has a very intentional and specific mission and purpose for Adam and Eve. Their mission was clear. Their vocation was clear as we read in chapter two. God had a place for them and he had a a mission or a vocation, if you will. And yes, they veered from that. And yes, God was disappointed and brokenhearted. But I think part of that is because Adam and Eve's purpose was to partner with God, to co-labor with God in caring for what God had given them. They had their vocation, their mission. It was all very intentional. As I was thinking about all of this, stay with me because we're going somewhere. This is complex, and so I was really leaning on the voice of of scholars and those who are beyond me in years and wisdom, and and I was wanting to make sure that I didn't miss something here. And this reminded me of a fabulous book that I read a few years ago called Liturgy of the Ordinary by Tish Harrison Warren. And in this book, she quotes, (laughs) I'm going to do one of those things, author quotes an author, And she quotes Steve Garber, who says this about vocation. Don't miss this, because you're all in different places doing different things. He says, vocation is integral, not accidental, to the mission of God. Vocation is integral, not incidental, to the mission of God. He says, we are a part of God's big vision and mission, the redemption of all things. And we live out this mission hour by hour and task by task. All that comes together to remind us that God had a place and a mission, a vocation for Adam and Eve. He wanted to live in community and in partnership with them. And perhaps as disappointing as the sin itself is that they hid and separated themselves from God and from community and from mission and from partnership. You know, a question that we ask a lot. We ask this question a lot. Where is God? 
Have you ever asked that question? If you have, it's okay. This is not a, uh, to induce shame for asking this question, where is God? Because I myself have asked this question many times. As I'm facing something overwhelming or as I hear tragic things that happen to people, it is all too easy to just cry out and lament, where is God? God, where are you and why are you allowing this to happen? What are you doing? I'd be lying if I said I haven't asked this question. I think this is a valid and at times appropriate question that we are just compelled to call out or cry out. So I don't want to induce shame for you asking this question, but I also think that perhaps there's another question we ought to consider from time to time. And that is this question that God poses to humanity. Where are you? Where are you? Perhaps we should consider this important question. We know that God knew. I I do believe that God knew where Adam and Eve were. That this was more of a heartfelt plea wrapped inside a very important question. Where are you? Where are you? I want you to be here. I long to be with you. And and we're co-laboring together. So where did you go? Where are you? This is the first question that God poses for humanity. And perhaps this question was significant for Adam and Eve as they find themselves completely disoriented by sin, disoriented by heartache, disoriented by hiding and being disconnected. And friends, I I recognize that our context is not the exact same as Adam and Eve's. We are in a different context. This is not the exact same scenario that we find ourselves in today. But I do think there is something to be said that we too hide from God and from each other. We too are disoriented at times by heartache. We too are disoriented by sin. We too find ourselves disoriented by disconnection and from hiding. And so perhaps we too should consider this question today. Where are you? Could it be that God is still asking this question of us? Is it possible that if we listen carefully, that God's searching question can actually help us to be found? That for those of you who are hiding because of heartache, grief, sin, whatever it may be, could it be that by considering this question that God might have for you, that you could allow yourself to be found by a loving, gracious God who is desperate to do life with you? Could it be that, that there are some of us who are fine with doing this life thing with God, but it's the people that we're concerned about. It's his children that we have issues with, right? Could it be that this question could help us to, to know and to be known by others? I think that you probably get tired of me talking about this because I know I say it all the time. And I think it's because this just continues to be so heavy on my heart. And until the Lord releases me from this burden, I just can't stop. Friends, I see that for the church, it is so easy for us to feel overwhelmed in and by this culture. 
We're overwhelmed. We don't know what to do with this culture which we are in. Amen? Can I interest anyone in an amen there? Just be honest. (laughs) Right? I I think we find ourselves confused and disoriented, and the world is going to hell in a handbasket is what we cry out, right? It's all gone. There's no hope. I just need to hunker down until the Lord returns. Lord, do not tarry because this world is just spinning out of control, And it's hopeless, it's helpless, and I don't know what to do or how to respond, so we just hunker down and hide. We shut ourselves out. We're convinced that there's just no hope until the Lord returns. And friends, I remain more and more convinced that this is not God's desire for his people. I remain more and more convinced that God can and desires to use us here and now in this culture where we find ourselves. God is not surprised. He's not overwhelmed. He's not confused. He's not scratching his head wondering what to do with this world. God says, you are here for a purpose and I can work in and through you. And it doesn't matter what's going on in the culture because God is still the same and God is enough for us to move here and now in this place where we find ourselves. And I know, I hear it so often that we just long to go back when things were simpler, when life was seemingly better, although I'm not convinced that it was. (laughs) Yeah, I see some affirmations there. We certainly can't go back to 2,000 years ago, right? Like, and things weren't all that great then either. We may read it and think like, oh, wouldn't it be so great to, to go back there where the church was thriving and alive and everything? They had their hardships And friends, as much as you don't want to hear it, we're not going to go back to how things were 60 years ago. It's not happening. We are here. This is where we are. And there is no going back. This is where we are. This is the culture in which we live. This is where we find ourselves. And that may be discouraging to you. And you may be ready to shut this thing off because you're like, that's not what I wanted to hear today. But the hope and the promise for us today is that the gospel of Christ trains us to be attentive and effective in where we are and what is here. We are reminded, I was reminded this week and I was fired up in case you can't tell. I I just appreciated being reminded of of how thankful I am to be of, of a Wesleyan tradition. And, and at its roots, we strayed, okay? We strayed and made it something that it wasn't at a time, and we still kind of want to do that. But at its roots, we as a holiness people, that's what I long for, and that's what I feel the most excited about, is that as holiness people, we believe, we are crazy enough to believe that the holiness and love of Christ can dwell within us and that we can take it into a dark, scary, and broken world and it can spill out of us and, and change the lives of people around us. Holiness people carry this love into the most broken of places knowing that Jesus is already there. He's, away, he's inviting us to come and participate in what he's already doing. I was reminded this week and I was so grateful that, that I was reminded that there is no person whom Christ cannot reach. There is no heart that Christ cannot transform. There is no situation that Christ cannot redeem or mend or 
move in the midst of. There is no culture in which Christ cannot be present. There is no moment where Christ is caught off guard and at a loss of how to be Christ the King. But friends, we believe in the transforming power and love of Christ that can reach any person in any culture at any time. And this is the truth we carry with us here and now. And this is where God has us. And he's calling us out of hiding. He's calling us out of a life lived behind a screen or in hiding or lived in an anonymity. And he is calling us to be faithfully present, participating in what he's already doing here and now. And it's time for us to reclaim and to recall the faithfulness and activity of God that never stops. Eugene Peterson, who is a author, brilliant theologian, he has since he's passed. He's been uh, he's been living his best life in heaven for a few years now. He's also a author of, a, of the uh, message translation of the Bible. But he is interviewed in the midst of this series, this Godspeed series, and he tells this story. And, and Eugene Peterson is one of those people that when he talks, like, you listen. He's just, he speaks wisdom. And, and the love of Christ is so clearly seen when he talks. It's, it's beautiful. And he tells this story of how when he was a pastor at a time and his church was in decline. The church was changing, the times are changing, and his church was just dwindling down. And let me just tell you, if Eugene Peterson is pastoring a church that is dwindling, it just makes me feel a little more seen, not that this church is dwindling, but anytime you feel like, oh, I, you know, we're just not big enough or we're just not this or that, I'm reminded that if Eugene Peterson was there, then then we're not too far gone, right? And he talks about, though, how his church was dwindling. It was kind of dying down to a discouraging number of people. And, and the church leadership was tempted to do what we often see when this happens in America. American churches, when they're faced with a dwindling or a crisis or a, or a drop in numbers, they decide, we need a project. We need a goal, we need a building program. We need a, a building fund, because that makes sense. Build it and they'll come, right? <laughs> Isn't that what we've always heard? And he confesses to this temptation to continue living on adrenaline all throughout his life, all throughout his ministry, until finally he says he accepted this humbling task of settling down and embracing this small parish to which Christ entrusted him. And he was just faithful and dedicated to know and to love the people that God placed in his parish. And when he did that, truly everything changed. The whole trajectory of his ministry changed. And it just reminds me and affirms that perhaps there is something to pushing back against a culture that is obsessed with adrenaline, living at a pace that isn't sustainable, and slowing down and knowing people's names and stories and allowing ourselves to be fully known. Perhaps there is something to this idea of being present, fully present where you are 
the culture which you are in and discovering how Christ would train us to be attentive to what is here. This quote from Eugene Peterson is so profoundly beautiful. He says, there is no place without the potential for unearthing holiness. Read that again. There is no place without the potential for unearthing holiness. Where God is, new life is. Where God is, new things can be born. Things can be redeemed. They can and will live again. Friends, I want to encourage you today to walk and step with the Spirit and respond to the ways in which God is moving here and now. To live at God's speed means to be present to where you are and present to who surrounds you. I want to share this short video with you, and I'm going to invite uh, Dave and Belinda to come as we watch this. I'll let you do it. You have a mission. You are sent. You're propelled by God's love and it will not relent until you go. But wait, before you go, you should know what you're taking with you. What is it God will give you to further God's healing in broken places and spaces where faces have fallen into injustice? What has Jesus left us to lift up those lost in a lurch? Brothers and sisters of the church, the question isn't what, it's who. It's the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. That's who Jesus left for me and for you, and the Holy Spirit is always more than enough. Tune your ear and you'll hear it. The reign of God's love, it started within, but then it took to the winds. It penetrates, permeates, saturates the air, so you can know wherever you go, God's already there. Continuing God's mission just means learning to listen. It means to build upon what's already being done, lives being saved and hearts being won, reclaiming those trapped in exploitation, leading our lands toward total transformation. There's no need to wait for further proclamation. You have a mission. You are sent. But wait, before you go, you should know what it meant. The gift of the Spirit meant we would have peace. What if everywhere we went, peace was released like the breath from our lungs? What if peace was so tangible we could reach out and grab it? So the question is, do you have it? The Spirit and God's peace? If so, then you're set, and you are as ready as you're ever going to get. So go, don't wait to relate or for further debate on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. The thing is, God's plan needs you to move, so do it. And count on resistance and the Spirit to help you push through it. You have a mission. You are sent. You're repelled by God's love, so we cannot relent until everyone knows the name of Jesus. It's not time for us to pause or lay low. It's time for the church to get up and go. This morning, I wonder if anyone here might confess, not out loud to me, but to the Lord that maybe you find yourself hiding. Maybe you find yourself hiding from God's love, from God's community, 
Maybe there's heartache, there's brokenness, there's been pain that's been inflicted on you. There's a healing, a restoration that needs to happen, but you're afraid to step out of hiding. And if that's you this morning, I just want to encourage you to respond to this question that I think God could be asking, where are you? It's a question that's filled with love and mercy and grace. It's not a shame-filled question. It's a plea for you to come out of hiding and to be found, to be seen and loved by God. And then, friends, I wonder if maybe if we can't relate to that question, it's the question of where are you that wakes us up, that wakes us up from a slumber, that beckons us to be attentive to the places and people that God has put right under our feet. And so, God, we open up our hearts to you. We give you space to move and to call us out of hiding, both from you and from one another. And God, I pray this prayer in faith that when we come out of hiding, that we will find that you are a loving, merciful, gracious God that seeks to redeem and restore what has been lost and broken and marred by sin And God, I I pray this in faith, I proclaim in faith that you are calling the church to come out of hiding and to boldly step into and before this culture where we are, where you've placed us, trusting and believing that you are enough, that you will meet us in the broken places, that you are already doing a new thing and you are inviting us to participate Right here, right where we are, we pray for you, Lord Jesus, to come and to meet us here. Amen. Would you stand, if you can, this morning and join us in worship and response as we sing, Take My Life. And just always remember, these altars are always open. You can respond from your seats. If you want to come sit on the front pew, you can respond from there as well. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of Thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Take my voice and let me sing always only for my King. Take my lips and let them be my and my goal not a mic would I withhold take my intellect and use every power as you choose 
my will and make it thine. It shall be no longer mine. Take my heart and is thine own. It shall be thy royal throne. Take my love, my Lord, I pour at your feet the treasure store. Take myself and I will be ever only all for thee. just want to let you know that throughout this series, there's going to be in your bulletins a, uh, an extra little page of questions there for you to take and reflect on throughout the week. Um, I hope you will do that, and I just hope that you will continue to ask this question or allow God to ask this question, rather, of where are you? And next week, we're going to look at the story of Moses as he stands before God, and he says... Here I am, as we so beautifully sang just moments ago. So God, I just pray that as we leave this place, that we would go forth knowing, God, that you go before us, that you are with us, that your spirit fills us and sends us. God, for for those who find this overwhelming and, and a little scary and difficult, God, would you just help us to take the next right step? Would you help us to be attentive to the people and places around us? Help us, Lord, to just have the eyes to see this beautiful, intentional place where we are and help us to be fruitful here. We pray it all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Friends, I pray that you would go in the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who goes with you. May you go and share his love and know that you are profoundly loved by him today. Go in his peace. You are dismissed. Have a great day.